Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, some people ask us the why, how we got the name of this podcast, and it's really my personal journey. Um, it's named after my journey to better understand other people, and I first needed to listen to them, and I realized that I had created a lot of opinions about people, groups of people, without ever listening to people in that group. And over time, I've learned that listening to multiple people and groups of people that I don't normally interact with has helped me to lift their burdens versus add to their burdens with their uninformed opinions. And that's part of learning. And it's my guests that have really helped me. And um, then you're better able to love, which is part of the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of our church. So on our podcast today, uh, we have a brave young man that's willing to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, my friend Jackson George. Welcome to the podcast, Jackson. Thanks for having me. Um, Jackson is joining me via Zoom. I'm in Salt Lake City. Jackson, tell our listeners where you are. I am currently in St. George, Utah. And what are you doing there? I am studying chemistry at Dixie State University. While we're on chemistry, share with our listeners about your hopes for, um, is this kind of a one-off or is this part of your whole career path? Yeah, so this is kind of, it's been a recent uh, thing for me. When I originally came down here, I was wanting to go to medical school, actually. And I, I wanted to do psychiatry. My minor is actually in psychology. I'm really interested in in like neurochemistry, actually, and, and in that sort of thing. But I just kind of had a realization that it, it wasn't like a good fit for me. And I, I really love chemistry. And I, I knew that that's what I wanted to pursue. So I, I'm planning on doing a PhD in chemistry and want to be a professor someday. So, And um, that's really cool. I, I love it when I meet somebody that has a feeling about their future. And um, I think sometimes we think everybody's got it completely figured out, but a lot of times it's just a feeling like you have. I want to do a PhD and I want to be a professor, but there's a lot of steps between now and then, but I'm not your mentor or your um, professional counselor, but I just sort of put my hands on your back and say, go for it. Yeah. And it's the guys that kind of have a feeling for what they want to do. I've always felt there's kind of motivation and ability. And the older I get, I realize a lot of people do have the ability, but sometimes the tiebreaker is just the motivation, the clarity that somebody knows that I'm going to, I'm motivated and I can do this. And I don't sort of look around and think, well, everybody else has got a PhD in chemistry, looks a lot smarter than me, or seems to have a lot more experience. They just kind of have this self-confidence. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm, I'm a tutor at the the school here and I, that's like my favorite thing is, know, helping people see that if this is something they want to do, they can, you know, helping people understand that, you know, they can learn these things if they, if they really want, you know. It's great. It's cool. You're a tutor. That's great. I'm a little more bio on my friend Jackson. He spells his name J-A-X-O-N. George, I think you know how to spell listeners. That's his last name. As I mentioned, Jackson grew up in um, Salt Lake City Valley went to West Jordan in West Jordan. He's a graduate of Copper Hills High School. That's a 6A huge high school here in the Salt Lake Valley, class of 2019. Um, went out on a mission to Japan. He'll talk about that. He felt like for a long time or maybe a period of time he wasn't going to serve a mission, but he did decide to serve a mission in Nagoya. He'll talk about how COVID brought him home and how he made his way to Dixie 
He's also going to, and there's kind of a trigger warning. We're going to talk about suicide. Jackson's going to open up about his um, times feeling suicidal. And, and the purpose in doing that is to just sort of normalize those feelings for those of you that have those. And perhaps some of you need to hear the things that Jackson will share that got him out of that space um, and why he's obviously glad that he is alive. He'll share his journey with pornography. That's something that comes into lives of really wonderful young people at times. And his uh, and the way he navigated that, the way he eventually was able to end that, that's not part of Jackson's life. Um, and credit to you for being able to pull out of that space. Jackson will also share being gay and just his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. So is that okay for an introduction, Jackson? Yeah, that's that's really great. <laughs> Thank you. And like a lot of my guests, Jackson's given me a little bit of outline. It helps me as the podcast host to kind of um, ask questions that lead into the story that he wants to share. So we're just going to let's talk about what happened when you're two years old and how that transforming event has shaped your life. Yeah, so my brother Severin was born when I was two years old. Um, he was born with spina bifida and Arnold Chiari. Um, and I remember, I don't, obviously, I don't remember much of my life before then. So my life as I knew it was very much, you know, revolved around him. And I learned at a really young age to kind of take care of him. And, you know, there was a great responsibility that I, I felt at a really young age to kind of like help out my family because my dad actually had lost his job at the time um, when my brother was born. And I remember it just being kind of a, a difficult time. And um, I, my grandma shared a story with me about how she came over and no one had made dinner yet. So she was going to ask me what I wanted. And I was putting toast in the toaster and eating a string cheese. I was just a little, little kid, you know, and I just bring that up because it, it kind of really shaped who I, who I am today. My, um, my independence, I guess I've just been very independent and my brother, you know, he's like an angel to me, you know, I, I just really had a strong, um, like spiritual connection to him and connection to my savior because he was always in our home and a part of my life. And I always say, you know, like some people get to hang an angel like on their tree, but I've been blessed to hold one since 2003 because that's when he was born. That's worth repeating. Some people are blessed to have an angel on the tree, but I've been blessed to hold one since 2003. Yeah. That gives us a little bit of an insight in your ability to write. Um, um, is he alive and how's he doing? He is alive. Um, unfortunately, he's not doing the best. Um, he's had a lot of hard hardships in the recent years. He had a decompression surgery that he's been that he's been healing from, and they just put another shunt in his brain to try and drain some of the um, cerebral fluid. He's had a lot of a lot of pressure on his um, brain lately, and so we don't really know. Um, how much longer he'll necessarily be around, but he's, he's still going strong and he's seems to, you know, he has good and bad days, but he's doing all right, I guess. Um, thanks for honoring your brother. What a compliment to talk in, in terms of the spirit he brings in your home and getting to know the savior better because of the spirit of your brother. Yeah. Um, listeners, I think, um, 
Jackson has some tears in his eyes right now thinking about his brother. Wish you could see the Zoom camera. I can tell you love you have for him. And and I have to think he has that same love for you, even though he can't fully express that perhaps. And perhaps yeah. the bond you've had in the pre-Earth life and will continue to have. Um, talk about Lincoln legs, Lincoln logs. Oh. Lincoln Logs, yeah. So um, my favorite thing to play with when I was a kid was Lincoln Logs. And uh, it's kind of become a kind of a really symbolic thing for me. It's funny. I I remember being a kid and I, I loved Lincoln Logs because my dad would show me how to play with them. It was just like I could make all sorts of different kind of houses. I could make ones with windows. And I really loved being able to kind of create my own, my own houses. But what frustrated me so much about Lincoln logs. And it was that every time I tried to build like a perfect house or something, I always ended up getting destroyed and, you know, they just get, they just kind of crumble. And I always didn't like that. And what I didn't know at the time is it's, you know, it's funny studying chemistry. That's the second law of thermodynamics is that the natural order of the universe is, is, is chaos. Basically the entropy kind of dominates and and that just has kind of become a, I don't know, like a metaphor for my my life in some ways is that I've always tried to, I've always wanted my life to have structure and to build it in the, in the way that I want. And every time that I've tried to do that, it just seems to kind of, doesn't always go as planned, you know? Um, I like the idea of Lincoln Logs and just um, some of the chemistry things you're talking about. Um, and as I've gotten older, that's certainly been the reality of of my life. Is just there's a lot of things that happen that are outside of my control. Yeah, and learning to deal with that. I know <clears throat> you may will probably have this experience going from raising young kids to having all of our kids now out of the home and adult kids, and you kind of at times want to, you know. <clears throat> micromanage <laughs> micromanage but then you realize the doctrine of our church's agency and the doctrine of good parenting i think is agency and and um and personal growth comes through just continue to make our way forward um talk about pornography introduce if just i'll let you run with that i'd love you to talk about what age that yeah. came into your life if you're able to connect any dots on why that came into your life and how it made you feel yeah, it's a good question. So I started watching pornography when I was, I feel like a pretty young age. I think I was 12, um, 12 going on 13, probably. Um, and I was realizing my attractions for men at the time. Now, I think I was in seventh grade. And I was realizing that, like, I just kept thinking, like, oh, my gosh, these men are so beautiful. Like, the boys in my class, like, I just thought they were so so beautiful. And those, you know, those sexual feelings that I started to have is kind of, I think what led me to pornography because I, I didn't have a healthy way to really like deal with those feelings. And I didn't feel like I could have any sort of like physical relationships with men. I was, I was very scared actually about that. I, 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 I hate that, that this is the case, but I kind of had like a avoidant personality in a lot of ways. I just, you know, I'm a little bit introverted anyway. So it was really easy for me to just kind of, you know, avoid making a lot of friends. And so that, I think that is where it, where it started from. 
Um, I think you do a good job of connecting some of the dots there. And I, I don't, I don't know, you know, pornography use comes into the lives of straight men and straight and gay men and straight women and gay women. And so, but you do make an interesting kind of, um, linking some dots in your own story. Do you wonder if it came into your life? You didn't quite say it this way, but help me if I misspeak it. You, Uh maybe it was more of an outlet because you didn't have a sort of a traditional way to deal with, you know, normal feelings that were coming into you, but most guys your age, it's towards girls. You're becoming aware of your sexual orientation towards men. And there's no real way to process that. So you kind of inferred maybe this was a way that you processed it. It yeah. might not have happened to you if you were straight. Yeah, um, I do feel that way in some ways. Um, because I think what, at least for me, like what I was really looking for in pornography, and it's not necessarily what you get from it, but is a sort of like sense of intimacy, like behind it all, you know, my motivation was like, I wanted to feel close to a man. I wanted, I just wanted intimacy. You know, I wanted that closeness and pornography is kind of like tempting in that way because it, it kind of lets you see that, but you don't get to really experience it in the way that you want. You know, it's not real true intimacy. It's just, sexual, I guess. Um, talk about, and listeners, I make this point pretty frequently when someone's um, gay and opens up about their porn use, is that my experience <clears throat> is that pornography is a window into someone's sexual orientation versus something that changes it. And so sometimes I think, and I've done this in the past, I've listened to someone who's gay and I've assumed something, if I could just figure out what happened in their past, I could sort of undo this. Mm-hmm. And we've done that. You're smiling. We've done that a lot in LDS culture over the years. And I think we're recognizing, and I've certainly heard this in multiple stories, that people come wired this way. And so pornography, we're all agreeing on this podcast, pornography use is not, is a sin. It's something that's, and Jackson's going to talk about how he got out of that. But to sort of link that with the sexual orientation, I think they're really two different things. Yeah, they are. Do you agree with that or do you, any thoughts on that? I do agree with that. It's funny because you, I would hear people and it's kind of uncomfortable because quite frequently people would say like, oh, like you're gay because you looked at pornography, you know, like that's what caused it. And I'm just like, like I looked at gay pornography because I was attracted to men. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the whole reason I was looking at it in the first place, not it people don't understand that. I don't, I don't think very well, but. And I think we know from convert some of the conversion therapy stories we've heard where gay men look at straight pornography that hasn't made them straight. I don't think the reverse is true. Yeah. And so I think it's just part of, you know, when we learn better, we do better and we're able to help people, but talk about how this led you, um, into, I think, I don't know if directly pornography or directly your secular orientation, but kind of a combination of things led you to be really severely depressed and suicidal. Yeah. So um, I would say by like, it's kind of funny looking back, like looking at my, at my younger self, because when I was in like eighth grade, I had this idea that like all men were gay, like that they secretly liked men, but that they <laughs> that they were just like dating women because that's like what they're, what they're supposed to do. 
And I started to realize that wasn't true, especially, you know, with pornography use and how men would start to talk about girls. And I was like, oh, you know, I was realizing, you know, maybe I'm, I think I'm actually gay. I think not everyone's like this, you know? And that realization started to make me pretty depressed because I, I didn't, you know, feel like that was acceptable, you know, like gay people weren't talked about with, um, with respect in the social circles that I was in. And, you know, it just was viewed as very terrible thing. And so I was like, I refused to believe almost that like that was, that was me, you know, like I didn't want to be, to be gay because that was seen as like such a, like an evil thing almost. And so I really just started to, to hate myself and uh, I didn't have any self-respect or self-love at all. And there was a lot of shame that, that just accompanied that. And um, it was just really dark times, I guess. And as I started to enter like high school, I'd say that's when they became pretty prevalent because I was, I was hiding this, this part of me and it was just so destructive. I, I often will say that like, I, I felt like I was someone outside looking in. Like I was kind of creating this version of myself that wasn't really me. And I didn't like know who I was anymore, you know, and, you know, to kind of, I think a lot of the like rhetoric that people had when I was in high school, wasn't positive either, you know, like kids would always say like, Oh, that's so gay. You know, they, they'd use gay as like a synonym for like stupid or things that are like dumb and, I remember just thinking like, oh, I'm gay. So that means I must be stupid. Like I'm dumb, you know? And that was ironically kind of a a motivating factor for me. I really became, I became really invested in my academics. Um, I think in large part because of that, I was almost like on a mission to prove like, no, like gay people aren't, aren't stupid, you know? And um, I was like determined. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get my associate's degree out of high school. And uh, I, so I started studying really hard and I joined the swim team as well. And I kind of used that to, I guess, as a shield to shield my identity. You know, I created this version of myself where if anyone was wondering like why I wasn't dating, I could just say, oh, you know, I'm so busy with school. I'm swimming, you know, all these things. And um so yeah, that's, that's what I did. And it's interesting because, you know, when I joined the swim team, that's when my, that's when I feel like the height of, of my suicidal feelings really came because I was, I was just getting so exhausted. You know, I was, I was hiding this part of myself and I was working myself to the to the max. You know, I was doing waking up at four in the morning to go to early morning swim, going to after school practices, doing, you know, taking a full load of college courses, you know, just to kind of hide my identity. And it was exhausting. And I, I just remember feeling like worthless. And I just kind of started thinking like, well, you know, people would be better off without me. Like I should just die because I, I don't want to, the way that I looked at it, I kind of looked at life in absolutes. I was like, I can either, you know, marry a woman or I can be, be celibate. That, that seemed like my options and both seemed like 
they weren't anything I wanted to do. And so I just, I just thought about drowning myself all the time when I was uh, a swimmer, we would do like breath exercises and, you know, they'd say they'd encourage us like, hold your breath, like as long as you can, because you're, you know, you're trying to increase your breath control. And there were moments when I was like, should I just hold my breath for as long as I can and not come up for air? Cause you know, it was getting really hard to breathe in, in general anyway. Um, this is a pretty tender segment, Jackson. Yeah. There's a lot of listeners that would just love to give you a big hug right now for your courage to be so vulnerable and for being alive. Yeah. Keep yeah, just sharing your story. <laughs> keep, Sorry, what saying? keep sharing your story. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I, it's not something I've actually shared with anyone uh, until now. I haven't, uh, haven't shared it with people just because I, I don't know, there was a lot of shame that I, that I've kind of felt about that, you know? And, um, I had a, a, a few like tender mercies, I would say, because there were, I remember there was a, a time when I really was like seriously considering suicide and we were doing these breath exercises, like I was saying, and I was kind of swimming and I was going to the water and I was like, I'm just going to like, not come up for air. And one of the kids on the team, he must not have been looking because he, he dived in as I was coming to the wall and he dived into me and actually like busted my goggles. And I, I, you know, out of shock kind of got up out of the water and my eye was bleeding. Blood was coming out of my eye. It was, it was a little scary of an experience. You know, I had to, I went to the eye doctor and miraculously everything was fine, but looking back, it was just really a tender mercy. Cause I, I don't know what would have happened. And I, I definitely think the Lord was watching over me. And then actually soon after that, I had a cousin commit suicide and um, that just kind of showed me like the, the ramifications that it has on, on everyone else, you know, like suicide doesn't just affect the person who's, whose life is taken, you know, the victim it affects everyone else. And I saw that, you know, I, I didn't really want my life to end. I just, I, I just wanted my life as I knew it to, to be different, you know? Um, <clears throat> when um, Jackson shares this listeners, I think of um, prior podcasts we've done and one of our guests introduced the Thomas Joyner model of suicide risk. And it's basically three circles. And as Jackson's been sharing his story, he's kind of shared all three circles. One is this feeling of not belonging. Yeah. And you didn't fit in. You didn't feel like you belonged. And the second one is a feeling of perceived burdenness, which is sort of this, it's real for you, but it's an incorrect conclusion that the world would be better off without me, or I'm messing up my eternal family if I'm gay and everybody would be better off without me. This is, you know... I'm a burden to people, yeah. whether that's directly tied to your sexual orientation or just everything. And the third thing is just an acquired ability for risk. And and as you're sort of going through the, I don't want to use, you know, you're, you have a plan mm-hmm. and you're kind of um, testing the waters, literally being in yeah, the water <laughs> of this yeah. plan is part of his, you kind of tolerate um, this and it 
and I think part of that third circle is also an acquired ability for risk. And maybe I'm not quite clear on that third circle, but it's sort of these sort of things. And um, that helps me as a layperson, plus hearing your story, understand why someone would get where you are. Um, talk more about this is you talking to your younger self and other people that are where you were. Yeah. Um, one thing you mentioned is you were witnessed somebody dying by suicide, a cousin that kind of helped you see the bigger picture here. And perhaps that burdenness, um, you realize that it would be more of a burden for others for me to be gone. But talk, talk to your younger self right now. Go back to high school and talk to that Jackson. Yeah. Um, what do you want me to say? I mean, I want I, you to talk to him. I want you to, to in his darkest, most hopeless moment i want you to talk to him if you would yeah um i think i just tell him that um you're capable of more than you realize and um that there's a lot of beautiful things in life that um you'll come to love and appreciate and a lot of beautiful people and men that you'll meet and um i think i just tell him to look inside him and be strong you know i i i love mariah carey she's like one of my favorite artists and she has the song hero I, it's very pretty popular and i just love the lyrics of that song it's you know there's a hero if you look inside your heart you don't have to be afraid of who you are and you know i just really resonate with that and i think that's that's what I'd tell my younger self is that, you know, you can, you can be strong. There's a hero, there's a hero inside you and people are better off, you know, having you around people are going to benefit from what you have to offer. Even if you, you can't see it right now. Um, that's a great segment. I think listeners, and I'm going to ask Jackson to clarify this. No one knew any of this. Um, you weren't out as gay. You weren't out as, talking about being suicidal you weren't out about pornography use um i'm assuming people around you just said you're a kid that's on fire you're getting up yep. at four o'clock you're taking college classes in high school you're on the swim team you're kind of knocking it out of the park and i assume you're getting a lot of people are talking about jackson george just kind of a kid who's got it all together and yes. is sort of you know who we'd hold up in high esteem is what we want our youth to be doing. And, and so I, I don't know if being put on that pedestal at times added to your burden and make it harder to be honest and vulnerable. And any just thoughts about these two worlds, you did a good job of kind of explaining if I looked at myself from the outside, the, any more thoughts about just living with the dissonance of, of yeah. all of that? Yeah, there was a lot of dissonance there, a lot of cognitive dissonance and, and, um, you know, it was difficult because people were, you know, from, from an outsider's perspective, you know, I was, I, I was doing some pretty great things. You know, I was academically driven. I was on the swim team, you know, people would constantly say like, Oh, we're so proud of you. You know, you're doing these great things, you know, and it's wonderful to hear, but little did they know I was struggling on the inside, was struggling to find the will to live, you know, like I really was, in such a dark place and, and no one really knew. I think that's kind of a testament of how, 
how well I kind of hit that. And um, yeah, it was just, it was very, very much a dark time. And I just felt very isolated. And um, yeah, I, I, I think too, it, I'm, I mentioned this a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more introverted and I think because of my, you know, my upbringing with my brother Severin, I had this like great sense of like independence that I really gained. And I was always that way. And so I, I kind of tried to do things on my own. I've always kind of been that way. I just try to do things on my own and not ask for help. And you, you just can't do that when you get to a place like that. You, you need other people. I, I wish I would have, you know, reached out and asked for help, but did you get impressions to reach out? Um, you know, I, I did. And I, I, I sort of did. Um, I, I had impressions like I needed to tell people what I was experiencing, but I was really afraid to tell my, my, anyone in my family. And I did end up actually reaching out to my cousin Brigham, who was on a mission at the time. And I, I actually told him that I was gay, that I was, you know, feeling attractions to men. I didn't tell him that I was like struggling, you know, kind of with suicidal thoughts because that kind of scared me. You know, the, the idea of telling him my sexuality was scary enough. I wasn't going to, you know, talk about everything on my life that was going on at the time, but he um, was really great and, and really supportive and kind of gave me hope during that time. And, uh, you know, things transpired later that kind of led to me coming out towards the end of high school. And I can, I can talk about that too. Is there anything we could do as a culture, as a church, as families to make it eat, to create an environment where it would be easier for you to talk about feeling suicidal? It's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I think that I, th- I think the biggest thing is like it, it's hard to be vulnerable in church in general. I feel like you know it's it's kind of like I feel like everyone kind of puts on a little bit of a facade because we don't want people to see that like we're struggling, right? It's something that I've always found interesting, but being vulnerable is very difficult. And I just think you know if, if people can be more vulnerable and in church and in, in these religious you know, circles, then we can have more, more honest conversations and, you know, just having support groups because, you know, my feelings of suicide were really stemming. I feel like from my, from my difficulties as like a gay man, you know, my having a support network would have been like huge for me. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I have that. And one thing that I've actually loved, there's a, his name is Jason Comporto. He's a member of my, my ward. He just started this like support group for LGBT people. And I was like, man, like that would have been huge for me. You know, that would have been life changing. Like I, I love that he's, he's done that. They're super great. Um, Jason's a good man. I'm a, I know Jason, we've talked and, um, and it is really wonderful what his warden, I believe, his stake is doing. He's just providing a support group for LGBTQ people within the stake. Do you want to talk any more about that? Because 
I think what they're doing in that stake obviously is consistent with the doctrine of our church and yeah. support of the church, but it's something that I think is needed can be scaled to other wards or stakes. Do you want to talk at all about it? Yeah, I mean, I I, I realize been. you're at Dixie, so yeah, I know. Unfortunately, like I haven't been up there, you know, much to really, really be a part of it. But I, I just think that that's huge for people because if people can see that there's like members in the ward who support them and love them and who don't feel like there's anything wrong with their identity as an LGBT person, that's huge, you know, because that's those feelings. I didn't have those feelings. You know, I was like afraid that, you know, people were, I was afraid of what people were going to think of me. I didn't think people really like supported like LGBT people. I I didn't see there wasn't any like out gay people in, in church. Like it, it wasn't, um, it, it, I just didn't feel like I really had that support. I felt very much like a, like a minority and, so I think that that would be one of the greatest things that that members could do is like providing support, like to have, you know, open discussions with people and just show your love for, for all God's children. I just think we culturally in our church, we can evolve to the point where most of the messages LGBTQ people are hearing are positive instead of negative. Yeah. I, you would know firsthand that most of the things you've heard about people like you in a church setting are negative. Yeah. And that's generally the culture. And I think we can learn as we're trying to live a holier, higher way is to recognize LGBTQ people, our own people. And they're sitting with, I think sometimes because we're in these legal battles, it sort of got on us versus them. It was a legal world for a couple of decades. And I think it's listeners, I think it's a pastoral issue. And these aren't a different group of people that pose a unified threat their own people they're people like you jackson and um, we need people like you you're part of the body of christ i want to ask why what was it about brigham Mm -hmm. that you knew he was safe and you could um because it's always an interesting thing for me Mm because some people just are able to communicate somehow that they're a safe person and there's something about um, your missionary friend Brigham, I think he's on a mission at this point, that you opened up to him. Yeah, well, I think first off, we were just really close. Like I I see him as like my brother, you know, we're really, we we're really close. So I I felt like he wouldn't be taken back by the information, but but also just I don't know. I just I sort of felt this like this closeness to him. And I really felt like he just like did his best to like love people regardless of, you know, who they were. And that was kind of something that I, I was looking for, I guess, in in someone that I could share this really deep, deep thing about myself, I guess. Um, Talk about, coming out in high school. So I think at this point, some point you started to come out at high school. Yeah. So that was really an interesting experience. It, I really didn't think it was going to happen. Like I, I truly was under the impression I'd be closeted for a while. Um, I did not think I was going to come out in high school, but I was prompted. I actually had had this dream. Um, and this is where things kind of 
actually changed for me the trajectory of my life. Um, it, it was a pretty like spiritual experience for me and I'll, I'll share it because it, it was really pivotal um, in helping me overcome like my, my suicidal thoughts and, and even pornography. Um, so I had this dream. I, I think I was in 11th grade at the time. I think I was in 11th grade. I was still on the swim team and I was, I was going to bed and I remember I was kind of in that place between wakefulness and sleep. Like I wasn't completely asleep yet, but I remember vividly, I was, I was on a raft. Um, I was just like laying on this raft and I was on the water and it's, it's ironic. Water's kind of become a very symbolic thing for me in my life. Water has a huge symbolism for me. And anyways, I was kind of like floating on on this water and it was very calm. And I looked up and I was looking at the stars and I just remember I was like so happy. I I love astronomy. And I was like pointing out the stars, you know, like my favorite stars and constellations. And and then things changed really fast. The waters became really tempestuous and the, this, these like dark clouds started to kind of encroach around me and and the water turned like crimson red. Like I remembered these details like so well. And um, I was like very terrified. It was a very kind of scary experience. And then, and then um, I just remembered this like light kind of piercing through the clouds and everything sort of started to like calm, become calm again and started to dissipate. And um, I just, I, I felt like, you know, God was talking to me. I, I had a conversation with someone and I don't remember, you know, exactly verbatim what was said, but the, the message was like very clear to me. It was like, it's almost like you're my son. Like, I love you. Like you need to stop like questioning, like your identity. Like I made you this way. Why, why are you like doubting this like aspect of you? You know, like this is an important part of who you are. Like, just kind of, you know, don't worry about like the things that you're worrying about, like everything's going to be fine. And I just had this feeling like I need you, like I need you so bad and I need you to, to like stay here. And um, it's just like, you're going to meet someone great someday. And um, I trust you and everything's going to be okay. You know, that was kind of the, major takeaway and I remember waking up and I was like that was you know the craziest thing I've ever experienced and I was you know I was going to go back to bed and I had this like this like undeniable voice and repeatedly it was just like write this down you know like you need to write this down I was like oh I don't know I'm just going to go to bed I'm exhausted you know and it's like I'll write it down so I decided to write the experience down, but then these words, the words started coming to my mind, um, like pages off the printer, like they just started flowing into my mind and I can still remember it, the, the words. And I, I actually wrote a poem. That was the first poem I ever wrote. And um, if you don't mind, I was going to, Please going do. to share it. Please share it. Sure. So um, I wrote the poem in like five minutes because it was almost um, verbatim. It just really 
I really felt like it was um, revelation that I received to write this poem. And it's called A Vision of Verity. And this is it. At the edge of time lies a mystery beyond the scope of imagination. And I have sailed the seas of frustration in search of a glorious revelation. But perhaps that's why so many have failed in their endeavors, for fate is not a man who likes to be seen. Love has not been kind to me. Truthfully, I've endured such terrible weather. Pressure and displeasure are abounding in measure. And the cold of this winter storm fails to penetrate because it's so much colder inside of me. And in the chasm of that barren feeling, I felt something seemingly just the, just the same, that I was fading languidly into the darkest night of disparity. Now there's just a remnant of someone I used to be. I'm not altogether well, as you can see. And as I sink into the waters of that godforsaken hell, I couldn't help but consider that this was my dismal destiny, for it was vividly emblazoned on my heart with all the colors of pastel. But as I drifted into the gentle night, I was shown a most magnificent sight. I was estranged from love, but I held on tight and beheld above me the most marvelous light. An unvarnished truth was unveiled to me in solemn search of my destiny. And I realized the vision of verity. Perhaps it's whoever I choose to be. Wow. Yeah. And it, um, it was just a really great experience that really changed my life. I remember finishing that poem and just feeling like, oh my gosh, like, did I just write this? Like, I can't believe this, you know? I was like, where did this come from? And um, it was a really cathartic experience for me. It, it brought me like so much peace and so much healing. And um, I, it was really after this experience that I had a, a huge kind of like change of heart and, and focus, really. My, the focus of my life changed completely. And I, I, it's funny because I didn't, I actually didn't want to serve a mission before, um, before this time, I was kind of like determined that I wasn't really going to go, you know, I, I wanted to study, you know, chemistry and I, I didn't want to go. And it was kind of this experience that kind of prompted me to actually consider that. And then, you know, eventually I ended up serving. So, um, Yeah. I love um, the personal revelation that you received and a feeling from your Heavenly Father about who you are and how He feels about you. Yeah. And I love one of your spiritual gifts sort of being uncovered, the ability to write poetry. Um, you're a chemistry major. Yeah. I don't know. I would normally not associate what you just wrote with a chemistry major. Um, but I realize that we all have unique, beautiful talents and spiritual gifts that often um, are found out at different important times of our life. And maybe that was always your plan to find that spiritual gift and have this experience. Um, but I love that you wrote that down. Yeah, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> I would have forgot it. Talk about how pornography actually, or poetry and writing, helped you was one of the things to help put pornography behind you. Yeah. So it was really, really 
um, pivotal, I would say, in, in that process. Because after this experience, I really became okay, like accepting the idea that I, that I could have a husband and that I could, that I could like date men and that that was okay. Like I really felt the strong sense that that was okay. And that that should be the focus of my life. And so what I started to realize was that I was like the kind of man that I would want to be married to, you know, I wouldn't want them to like struggle with pornography. I think that that would affect my marriage. And so I was like, how can I, as someone who would want, you know, that kind of equality and someone be addicted to pornography and it was kind of like motivation to be like, I don't want this. I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want this for my future. I felt like it would negatively affect my future family and my, my, my marriage if I were to have one. And so I, I think that first off was really important for me to realize that it wasn't something I wanted. And then secondly, I realized that what I was really wanting was like intimacy and I, and, you know, connection with men. And that kind of helped me abandon pornography. And as I kind of started to write poetry, I was, for the first time in my life, I felt like expressing my desires to be with a man. I was expressing, you know, my, my feelings unfiltered just, you know, as they were. And it was, you know, it was so healing because for the first time I felt like I could just, just write about how I was feeling and, that kind of was an emancipation for me, I guess, and really helped me to, to come out of, um, to come out of that. Um, One of the things that, and listeners, I mentioned this at times, I was a singles board bishop and in that assignment, obviously you're working with, with men and women to help them overcome pornography. And I noticed that often, um, the YSAs would do better when they had connection. And it wasn't necessarily, I don't want to imply being sexually active, but just emotional connection yeah. to people. Yeah. And and it often sort of, you know, they actually weren't addicted. They had a challenge with pornography. And I want to use words that aren't shaming words whenever I talk about pornography. Um, and so often they would find sort of authentic connection as they were dating. Yeah. And it sort of lifted for them because it was what they were kind of looking for. And it seems like that's part of your story here too. Yeah. Yeah, and, it was be- because I, and dating has been something that's been a little bit more recent for me. I started dating, you know, after my mission, but, but dating has also really helped me because I've been realizing that, you know, making meaningful connections with men is really what I wanted. And it's just like life is so much better when, when I have built these meaningful connections. And and I was always kind of running away from that when I was in high school. And when I was, you know, younger, I was not making, you know, long lasting relationships. I wasn't making a lot of, you know, friendships. I was, you know, kind of, kind of isolatory. And so that, that can be really detrimental to a person, I think. Um, I have a new book coming out, listeners. I've mentioned it a little bit. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. It'll be out on March 8th. You can go to Amazon and put in my name, Richard Osler, and you'll probably find it. But 
chapter um, four is ending pornography use. And a lot of the things that Jackson's talking about, we talk about that. It's, it's an expanded version of an Ensign article I did. And I've learned so much about helping people end pornography use. And there's so much shame and self-loathing and darkness yeah. about it that your story is coming out into the light and finding what kind of was going on at the bottom of the iceberg behind your pornography. I don't think it was a willful desire to say one day, what can I do to displease God? Yeah. This is what I'll do. I don't think this was the intent here was to sort of like do something that would be bad, but I think you recognize this wasn't right. Yeah. Um, And you've done a really good job of sort of connecting the dots and very much on your own pulling out of it. And staying yeah. out of it, but I. Um, so anyway, and I've also written a chapter in hit in here, chapter six, creating better understanding of mental illness and suicide, and and so those are a couple of good chapters to read, um, that are very consistent with the things that Jackson's bravely sharing about his own journey. Um, I I do love sort of the reason one of the biggest reasons you wanted in pornography use is it sounds like um, you feel your path is to marry a man, but you want to be the very best person you can be coming into that marriage yeah and what a great you know what a great um and listeners we jacks and i both understand that that's outside the doctrine of our church and but it sounds like it's the reality of the path that you feel is best for you Mm -hmm. and so i think it's okay for us i'm an active latter-day saint to just want you to be your personal best and recognize the work that you're doing to be your personal best to be able to find the very best partner for you and doing that in a thoughtful, methodical. um, And sometimes I think when you find that partner, you want to be your very best. Yeah. Um, And be it sort of, you don't have to be perfect, um, but I think you're doing a good job. And so I love some of the reasons you've been able to put pornography behind you and the why behind it. Um, And I also think um, one last thought is I really think we're too quick to put the addiction label on it because um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you're ever addicted. I think you had, you know, ongoing pornography use, but um, you've put it behind you. Um, yeah. And I think you were able to sort of um, figure out what was going on and be able to put it behind you. So the addiction label, I worry, listeners, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you sort of look in the mirror and say, I'm addicted, I yeah. worry that that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that isn't needed, especially for younger people. Um, talk and I love this personal revelation you're receiving that God is pleased with you, Jackson. And this part of you that you haven't felt good about being gay and have heard negative things about that when you took that to Heavenly Father, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You've got this feeling that I'm created as intended and he's, he loves me and he's not embarrassed about me. And to me, that just puts you on the same moral footing as just straight children. Um, and it just, it, it, it eliminates the likelihood you'll deconnect from God because you think God is ashamed of you or that you're a mistake or he thinks something went wrong. And I think that that's such an important thing I've learned from so many of my podcast guests is that when they take this to their heavenly parents and talk to heavenly father, they often get this same feeling that you've got in this dramatic way through this dream and through subsequent revelation. Are you okay with what I said or do you want to add or subtract any of that? No, that's, that's great. I, I would second that. And listeners, I don't think um, owning your identity that necessarily means you're going to leave the church. I just think it helps you to connect with God, 
to to feel like you can get personal revelation and he loves you and he'll walk with you and I think it puts you in a better strength spiritually for the rest of your life to be able to work closely with God. Um, we've kind of, we have got you to Japan and we've got about, you know, maybe 15 minutes left on the podcast. I want to um, talk a little bit about your mission. So this is kind of a surprise. You're, yeah. It sounds like even before your mission, you think your path is probably to marry a man, but you decide to go on a mission anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are probably other listeners out there that are pre-mission saying, I don't know my future. I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know my future post-mission, but I'm willing to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, it, talk about just how you navigated that for others that might be trying to navigate that are pre-mission saying, uh, how do I navigate this? Yeah. It was difficult. I, I won't lie. It was difficult because... You're exactly right. I was pretty certain, like, you know, at this point in my life, I was like, I want to marry a man. That feels right to me. But I also wanted to serve serve the Lord. You know, I wanted to represent Jesus Christ because I, I, you know, I have faith in him. And I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so beautiful. And I wanted people, wanted people to have that. But, um, it wasn't without its difficulties. You know, I going to the temple was, was hard for me. I, I it just kind of, I don't know. I was just like, I won't really have the opportunity to necessarily do this again. And I was like, I really want to show God how much I, I love Jesus Christ, you know, and I want to, I want to help other people to, to know how much they're loved by God, because that was, you know, I was in a position where I didn't feel like God loved me, you know? And, um, I wanted, I guess I just wanted other people to, to know that they are loved. And I, yeah, I, I don't really regret it at all. I have to say it, it was difficult for sure, but I, I, I don't know. I had a pretty good experience. Talk about Japan. How do you feel about the Japanese people and the culture and just living in a different world, so to speak? Oh, I love Japan and I love the Japanese people. If there's any place I could live, I would, I would choose Japan any day. I love it there. And, you know, the MTC was actually really hard for me. It was, it was interesting because the MTC felt kind of like a recloseting in a way because I had recently, I had recently kind of come out. And then when I had gone on my mission, the MTC was just like a very, very different social atmosphere. And that was difficult. But once I got to Japan, I really just, you know, finally interacting with the people and seeing them, it was, I just can't explain it. I love the Japanese people. They are so beautiful and God loves them. And, um, did you come out to your priesthood leaders um, as gay? Yeah, I, in the I mission did. Process? I, yeah, I, I told them about that when I was applying, you know, when I was putting my mission papers, I was like, I'm gay, you know, and I feel that I want to serve a mission now. That And my bishop at the time was kind of laughing because he was like, you, this is kind of a like change for you, you know, like that. That's kind of interesting, but he was like, I'm not actually surprised. He's like, I felt like you, you would want to do that. And 
so I, I was, I shared this with them and it was a little difficult because, you know, when I put in my papers, I mentioned on my papers also that I was gay. Cause I was a little bit concerned about it, you know, going on a mission because the reality is, is you're around, you know, a male companion, like all the time. And I don't know. I just, I had some apprehensions about it for sure. And, um, they, they wanted me, they, I got an email back and they wanted me to do like counseling for about a year. They wanted me to do it for a year before I could go. And that was kind of discouraging. Cause I was like, well, I don't know that I'm going to go then, you know, but I was like, I'll give it a try. You know, I'll go and do the, you know, the counseling. And I met with the counselor and he was like, yeah, we do not need to, <laughs> we do not need to meet for this long. Like you're totally fine to go. And so we, you know, didn't went to some counseling in the summer and then finally got my call, I think in, in August. Um, talk about the counseling, some listeners, some young men, young women, in high school that are gay or lesbian, maybe wondering, is that, do you get the feeling that was required because you were gay or was it because of your, were because of your mental health or a combination of both? Mm-hmm. And was the counseling to make you straight? I assume our listeners will know, hopefully it wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, no it, one was trying to make you straight through this counseling. They were just talk more about the type of counseling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I should clarify that because it wasn't like that. It wasn't like where you need to try and be straight. In fact, there was a lot of conversation about like my counselor was like, there's a lot of gay men who go on missions thinking they'll come back and they'll be straight. And I like almost laughed. I was like, is this like, really people think that that's like so sad. And he was like, yeah, like a lot of people have this idea, you know, that like, going on a mission will be kind of this like cleansing experience. And I wasn't under that impression luckily. And so the focus of the counseling was really just to like, help me be prepared. You know, I, some of the things I felt were kind of unnecessary, but at the same time, maybe some people would have benefited from, from having them, you know, they had me create kind of like a plan. Like if you, feel like you're attracted to your companion what will you do and so people might might have benefited from that and i can't say that it was a negative experience it was actually very very positive so um and we've made a lot of progress as a church to the type of counseling you got yeah um even i love what that counselor said about you know some do go on a mission to be Hope will come back straight, but I recognize where you are and where people probably weren't 10 or 20 years ago where they did go on missions and think they'd come back straight. We've had a lot of those guests on the podcast and they really hit their brick wall post-mission when they recognize this is still a part of them and they get in sometimes the darkest spots post-mission. And you kind of, in some ways, went through that pre-mission and um, had this real sure understanding of who you are and that that's kind of who you're going to be. And so I think that's good. I look at um, the maturity of you and perhaps other youth your age that are sort of coming to terms with this earlier in a more healthy, mature, spiritual way and don't have to go through a decade or two of, of wrestling with this that can create just a lot of internal sort of turmoil. And so mm-hmm. you've done a good job and you've had a, sounds like a bishop that's pretty good and supportive and yeah. Um, did you come out on your mission to anybody? Some of my guests don't. 
Some mm-hmm. do, and there's no requirement. Did you do you want to talk at all if you can't? And I realize COVID sent your mission, ended your mission after you know eight or nine months, I think. But yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so um, we uh, interesting. I didn't. I don't. I didn't really realize this, but I didn't really come out to any of my companions. Like I said, it, I I kind of actually felt in some ways the mission was kind of a recloseting. Like I I didn't feel comfortable like saying that I was gay. And maybe that was kind of because of the newness. Like I had just kind of recently come out before my mission, so I didn't I didn't really didn't really mention that. And my mission was a little short lived. It, it was actually only like. Four months, four months. Total, I think, but yeah, I, I didn't really, I didn't share that with anyone. So, you know, I'm sort of getting the impression that a lot of pre-missionaries may be listening to this podcast that are kind of walking mm-hmm. your road, but just a few years behind you. And mm-hmm. my feeling is it's good to hear stories like Jackson, but you got to write your own story. Yeah. So I don't, if you feel like your path is to go on a mission, you, you're, I don't think it's required. You even come out to your bishop. If you're not straight, um, some, I think, feel impressed, not, I think you can be authentic and get a call and be square with the Lord and decide at this point in your life, I'm not going to come out to my bishop or stick present. Jackson chose two and uh, more and more, I think, are and more and more bishops and stake presidents have more experience in the space to be able to navigate that church missionary department obviously does because they're extending calls to people who identify as gay. And, um, but then when you're on your mission, Jack's, you know, and maybe if you had ser- been able to serve two years without COVID hitting you, you would have come out, mm-hmm. but maybe not. And I think you can be authentic. So if you're having anxiety right now before your mission, am I, do I need to come out to my mission present, my companions? I would try to tamper that anxiety and just say, you'll know in the moment what the right thing to do is. And you can be an authentic missionary, never come out. Yeah. And you just may not feel it's the right thing to do. So don't think you're even though you feel your path is to be in the closet, don't put, be hard on yourself because you're, you know, not owning this. Cause I think you can own it and still not be out. Um, so just some thoughts. I think you've got to write your own story. Use the principles of Jackson's story and other podcasts that you got to write your own story. And I think um, it's, it, this is complicated sometimes because people would say, well, you went to the temple knowing that you're probably not going to keep your covenants long-term and, Right. So are you worse off because you went to the temple yeah, in the first yeah. place? And I love the way you, I hope our listeners caught that. The reason you went to the temple and the mission was all based on love of the Savior yeah, and a desire to help people. So I look at the intent of why you did all this, Jackson. Um, it's just your great heart to want to serve people and lift people and bring people to Christ. And you felt like I'm going to do this and, Going to the temple is part of that, and it's my witness to the Savior is my commitment to try to do everything I can. And so I'm uncomfortable if we sort of, people that have never gone, I just, it's not our job to judge. So if you choose to marry a man and you've gone through the temple and now you're not keeping all your temple covenants, I don't look at you and say shaming comments like you've turned your back on your temple covenants or you've turned your back on the Lord. I just say my job is not to judge you. I'll mm-hmm. always invite you to follow the teachings of the church, but mm-hmm. I'll say, I'll walk with you on the path that you feel is um, the best path for you. Yeah. And I'll invite you to keep all the temple covenants you feel like you can keep. I think there's five and yeah. um, 
you know, if you're in a same-sex marriage, you can't keep that one. Um, but you might be able to keep the other ones. And so I try to invite people to live a nuanced view versus a all in or all out. Yeah. Um, so that's just some thoughts for listeners as you're trying to navigate this or help other people navigate this. Um, but I recognize if I make really shaming comments to you, like you're the hero one day um, because you're celibate in the church, you're, and I don't want to make you the villain the next day if you're in a same-sex marriage. You're just the same child of heavenly parents trying to do the best you can. And um, yeah. I think David Archuleta in his video sort of articulated that really well, the heart-wrenching feeling where he doesn't want to feel like he's one person one day and another person the next day. Yeah. And just recognize the complexities of your path. Are, are you okay with what I said, or do you want to clarify or take away from any of that? Yeah, I think I would just add, like, for me, I, I guess I just have my own feelings about things, too, because, you know, God is continually revealing more revelation to us, you know, and we don't, I think it, I think it'd be unfair to say that we know everything. And I think it's, unfair to say that we know everything about marriage too, because, you know, as we've seen, our understanding of marriage has changed in, in, in the past. And so for me, it's just kind of this feeling that I don't feel like I have to like justify myself because I feel like my revelation is from God, you know, and I feel kind of sure in that. And I don't know, I, I see it as like, you know, I still feel like I'm keeping my covenants and and so that's I don't know, that's where I'm at. And it's a good spot to be in. Um my personal revelation doesn't give me the right or the ability to judge your personal revelation, Jackson. Right. Um and I just so I just honor personal revelation. And yeah. I like the way you say I I feel like I am keeping my covenants. And so it's not my job to sort of dissect which even though i did earlier in this episode <laughs> that segment it's probably not my job to dissect what covenants you are or aren't keeping um you know that's part of the doctrine of love thy neighbor as thyself and right. so i think you're you're pretty mature you're 20 i think i mentioned that listeners perhaps i didn't you're 20 and you're in a pretty good spot and Listeners, I recognize that the Jacksons of my age, when I was 60, you know, really the only they, I just, so many of them went to the big cities and lived the club life and multiple yeah. partners. And there was no, that was really the only path. That's not completely true because some found a monogamous relationship, even no marriage. But I just, you know, most of those guys aren't with us anymore because that's a pretty hard road. Yeah. And I, and I look at that as an improvement in our world is that you have a path that's healthier than the path that um, some of my high school friends had. And yeah. um, you have more support in our society for you. Um, talk about, I want in this last segment, just come back to Lincoln Logs yeah, um, and talk about that. Yeah. So um, Lincoln Logs, I guess they, they uh, have become a symbol for my life, I guess. You know, as I, as I mentioned, I loved Lincoln Logs because, you know, I, I loved the idea of being able to, like, structure my life the way I wanted it. And, you know, maybe I'm kind of like a control freak in that way and that I, I like to have a structure. And that's just not always the case. And, you know, 
them, you know, getting destroyed. You build a beautiful Lincoln house and then they get destroyed because you can't control everything in, in your surroundings that happens to you. And, you know, that's very much like my sexuality. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't control that. And I, you know, all these other things that happened in my life, I, they just kind of shook my life. But at the end of the day, like we, we can't always control what happens around us, but we can, you know, choose to pick up the pieces again. And, and um, that's kind of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, right. Is like starting over when things get broken down. Sometimes we have to get broken down to be able to build ourselves up better again. I like that. Tell our listeners how you're doing with your emotional health now. You're 20 and mm-hmm. um, share with our listeners how you're doing. Yeah, I I am feel really good. I I have a lot more um, sense of like direction and reassurity in my life. And um, I'm just overall a lot happier than I really ever have been. Um and I'm much more in tune with my emotions. I would say I, I no longer just try to like suppress them. Like I, like I, you know, have done in the past and, you know, I continue to, to try and write poetry in, in my spare time whenever I'm feeling a little down or I, you know, have feelings that are troubling to me. I, I usually write and that really has helped me. And, you know, I'm grateful that I kind of found that that um outlet and yeah life's been life's been really great so if you could press a button on zoom um zoom had this feature that you could press a button and be straight right now would you press it never why why because well it's 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 a little complicated but i for me I can't imagine my life being straight. Like I am my sexuality, like people will try to say that, you know, it's not an important part of of your identity. I've had people actually say that to me before, but I could not disagree more. You know, it's, it's a very important part of who I am and it, it influences so much of my life. I feel like even how I learn and the way that I understand like chemistry even is, I find myself being like really kind of surprised at how I'm like able to learn things because of my experiences as being a gay man. Like I, I see the atoms as like people because they're all like very, very distinct and they have their own like character. And, you know, I just, I, this sounds, people might think this is crazy, but I almost kind of like empathize with, with, you know, atoms. And when I see reactions and stuff, I can, I can understand them better. And that, you know, I, I kind of attribute that to my experiences as a, as a gay man, as strange as that might sound. That surprised me when I first started to ask people that question. Um, I thought everybody that's gay would like to be straight. And I do get once in a while, someone says, yeah, I'd love to be straight. It's hard. I'm in a heteronormative world. I'd love to, but then I meet most people that answer that question the way you do. And um, I think it's a great way to live. And I think it's a great um, sort of insight into your relationship with your heavenly parents and your understanding of your identity. Um, 
I'm feeling a lot, a little bit long-winded here, listeners. It's Saturday afternoon. I usually feel more long-winded on Saturday afternoon doing podcasts <laughs> than in the evening. But um, Ben Shalotti posted something on his blog. Ben Shalotti, as listeners may know, is a gay Latter-day Saint and an honor code officer at BYU. Um, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, Jax, but Jackson, I'll read it for you. I'll read it for listeners. Um, in recent years, I started to say orientation more than sexual orientation. Yes, I'm sexually attracted to men and not to women, but it's about so much more than that. I'm also emotionally orientated towards men and romantically orientated towards men and intellectually orientated towards men and even spiritually orientated towards men. All the parts of me that yearn for connection are directed towards men. And I don't feel that same way towards women. And I think I make, and I think I'd make a great husband. But man, would that be hard if if I weren't physically, emotionally, romantically, or intellectually or spiritually attracted to my wife? Hard for me, but perhaps even harder for her if she were physically, emotionally, romantically, intellectually, and spiritually attracted to me, and knew those feelings were not reciprocated. So I think one of the things that some of you guys have helped. And I say guys, meaning men and women, have helped me understand. We say sexual orientation. A lot of people just go to sex, yeah, and they think this is about sex. And Ben, Ben, in that post and kind of your podcast has helped me to understand a marriage and a partner. Is and David Archuleta's video kind of helped me understand that yeah. it's is more than about sex. It's about a broad connection. I think about you know my relationship with my wife and all these things that are part of a healthy relationship you know, are the things that Ben described. And it just helped me understand a little bit better. So I don't know if you like that or not, or want to add or subtract from that. Yeah, I love it. I would, I would agree with that. I love how he said even intellectually attracted to men, you know, like it's, it's a very much a multifaceted thing. You know, we're very complicated people. And, you know, when you say sexual attraction, people do kind of just think about sex, but it's, it's more than that. Like my desire to be married is not just for sex, you know, that's, that's just not it. It's also like rom- romantic attraction and, and just love for men. Like I just, I think men are beautiful, you know, and I, I love, I love that. I love what he had to say. If you marry a man, how do you hope um, Latter-day Saints will treat you? Well, I hope they'll, just treat me like everyone else. I mean, I, I would actually love to be comfortable, you know, going to church and with my partner, I think that, you know, that would be great if possible. I'm not sure what, what that'll look like. And I'm, you know, I don't really worry too much about it, but yeah, I just hope that people, you know, will, will treat me the same. I had a, actually a, the sister, one of my friends growing up in high school reached out to me and she was like, I just want you to like, like, tell me what your experience has been like being gay. And like, I want to know more because like, I don't understand it. And, you know, I just thought that, that was the coolest thing. And I was talking to her and she's like, well, I would love, you know, if you, you know, if you were married someday and like you had a husband to like come to church with me, like, I feel like we need like more diversity and in our congregations, like you obviously still belong with us, you know, we're all children of God. And so that's, I think that's how it should be. I love that you want to continue to stay um, participating in the church. And I, 
I like some of the language uses. I don't know exactly how that will work out. And I think others that might be in your shoes have a lot of anxiety about the future and how that would work out. And I'd invite people to try, this is a general principle, to try not to worry about things that are in the future that you can't control. Because mm-hmm. that just, anxiety is more about the future. Stress is more about today. There's a lot of that in our lives right now. So even though I asked you that really, and you gave a great answer, some that may create a lot of anxiety about them. And I think you'll just know how to navigate that listeners at the right time in the right moment. And I hope that, that everybody feels welcome in the Latter-day Saint congregation, that there should be no belief or behavior hurdle the gates wide. And if you and your husband come to church, I hope you feel welcome there and that you can worship with us. And, um, and that's hard right now for a lot of couples in same sex marriages or to come to church. And I think we can improve our culture to um, love people. I don't think loving people makes them more, I just think it's, I think it just helps them to stay connected to Latter-day Saints, to their families and to our heavenly parents. Ongoing, you talked about ongoing revelation and um, Mm -hmm. that is our doctrine listeners. That's part of our articles of faith. It's part of President Nelson's talk. An ongoing revelation in this space can be difficult because some people would believe um, that this, our doctrine will change and there'll be a place for someone like Jackson and his husband in the church. And some people feel it won't. And I sort of don't take a stand on that because yeah. it's hard. I, I would invite listeners to not make decisions based on hope our doctrine will change mm-hmm. because it may never change. But exactly. I I think to make decisions based on what is your best path forward and what you feel is right for you and the personal revelation you're receiving from Heavenly Father for you, to me is is a is a better approach than sort of making decisions thinking um our the maybe the false hope that our doctrine will change. It may or may not. But I think you've got to make decisions based on your best path forward with the personal revelation you're receiving and not maybe the opinions of others. Are you okay with that, Jackson? Or do you want to add or subtract from that? Yeah, I think I, I would just say like, yeah, to anyone who's listening to like, that's, that's really important. You know, like you, you really have to not get, be so worried about, you know, how things will be in the future. Things will change or not, you know, we're all kind of on our own, our own course. And you, you have to trust that God has a plan for you and, and, you know, ask him, you know, how he, how he feels about you and what you should do. That's really, you know, your really personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important. And yeah, that's what I would add. And I think that relationship to me is, is it's just, it's the relationship with our heavenly parents in Christ to me, listeners is not conditional. It's just there because we're children of heavenly parents and because our saviors are older brother. Um, and I think that works for all of his children. I don't, I think worthiness to go to the temple might come and go, but the worth we have because of our divine nature, um, to me allows us to have a ongoing personal relationship, just the way you describe. And, um, I just the way I believe. Because if I'm a parent, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids. It's not conditional on anything. It's just because they're my kids right. and I want to be involved in their lives. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Jax? Um, no, I think I just say, you know, if you're 
if you're in a tough spot, just, you know, know that it gets better. You know, I think I'm a pretty good example of how I, I did not think that my life would be the way it is today. And, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised how things have turned out and, you know, I'm really hopeful for the future now, like for the first time in my life. And I just think that there's a lot, a lot in life to love. Thank you. Um, on behalf of all our listeners, Jax, this is a really good podcast. You are a really good man. Oh, well, thank you. With You can just tell your love of the Savior, your love of people, your love of your brother, um, your love of the people of Japan, your desire to do what's right. Um, your courage to be vulnerable and honest is a remarkable sign of strength. It's an attribute we don't value very much, but your, your courage to be vulnerable allows other people to be vulnerable. And it gives other people hope. That perhaps is the greatest gift you've given someone in this podcast. Um, is some closet young man or young woman, or maybe they're older and closet, and they're at the end of the rope, but your story of a 20-year-old gives them hope. And when you talked about your own hope for the future being it's better than it's ever been, to me, those are the fruits of the work that you've done. And um, all you've done with courageous decisions and being open, authentic, and addressing things to get you to where you are, where you have hope. Um, so you have a great life ahead of you. Um, you are 20. Um, a lot of my guests kind of get to this point 10 years after you or 20 or 30 years after you. And I'm not being critical of those. I just recognize, I think, an improvement in our society and our church culture that people that aren't straight are able to sort of accept this part about them, get rid of the internalized homophobia or transphobia earlier. And then so that then they can come out and be accepted and loved by their peers and by heavenly parents that, oh, that love is always there. And then, then the shame is out of the equation, which is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from God and from family and friends and the church and feel like there's a path for me forward. So you're in a really good spot. And you give hope to other people that they can get in that same spot. And listeners, we just honor a range of stories here. We're not trying to create one correlated story of one path. We share multiple stories here so that um, we can all just do better as we hear. If you're straight and wanting to better serve and be a better ally, these stories help you. If you're LGBTQ hearing stories like Jack's and all the other people, hopefully help you to make your way forward. So. Um, this is Jax George and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.